0: This is The Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. You look at my numbers, I'm I'm balling. Beer City's
1: best sports talk is on the air. Get involved. Call 252-4348. Tweet the show at Sports Tank ESPN. The Sports Tank. Come get you some of this. Can't wait.
0: Welcome in to 92.9 FM, 880 AM and 1400. You're in the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. Heard everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We are live from the Ingalls studio. And, of course, this hour of the program, as always, brought to you by Ingalls. Low prices and love the savings. we got uh, Jones Angel, the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, will be joining us like he does every Thursday at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. For a little Tar Heel time, we'll talk to him about, uh, well, I mean, we got we got some, pi- some pieces to pick up before... The Duke game on Saturday, I still think it's going to be uh one of the one of the most interesting Duke Carolina matchups in recent memory i don't think a whole lot uh, I, I i don't know uh, it, it feels like there's never been as much on the line for this game uh Duke needs a win something serious because sure i mean a lot's on the line when you face each other and you're one and two in the country that's happened
2: several times for duke and carolina but this time you're fighting for your life yeah now you're fighting for uh to to actually continue <laughs> playing
0: <laughs> right right we got a uh, big night in college basketball as well
2: uh several games in the big 12 that are pertinent Yeah, I inadvertently picked three Big 12 games for Green on Green today. (laughs) That's a first. Green on Green, of course, comes up at the end of this hour along with your
0: Monkey Knife Fight play of the night. Go to monkeyknifefight.com today and set up your account. And don't forget to use the promo code TANK to collect your free money. They will match your initial investment up to $50 and also give you a $5 free play for creating your account and using our promo code TANK. Um, Big news in the NFL Ben Roethlisberger is going to be back for next year. They have restructured his contract. Am I using that term correctly? Jeremy likes to harp on me that I use the term restructuring wrong.
2: Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This one's so convoluted that I don't know that either term actually <laughs> makes sense. I right, was that the you know that's the move going forward. For uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is one of the... You know when I tell you you're way too worried about the money? Mm-hmm. It's deals like this that are the reason I tell you that. Do you know how long of a deal he actually just signed? Two years? Five. It's five a five-year deal. Really? They but had, it's voidable after this year. I was it's said, literally, four voidable years on the end of it? It's literally open manipulation of the salary cap. Right. Because he's never... And, you know, good on Ben for taking this much of a pay cut. I'm a little shocked... Saves, he lost about five million. Yep, in his base salary for this year. It will actually save the Steelers about fifteen million mm-hmm. for this year. Right. And you're going to see a lot of teams do this. I mean, because it's it's an open gray area in the CBA. Mm-hmm. You know, now there are not a lot of guys that are willing to do deals like this. Where you extend the, you extend it out forever, but Ben's Mr. Steeler. Right. And he's, he wants to come back and play another year. And that's what it took. There are certain guys that will do these deals. And I think you're going to
0: find more and more of them this year than ever because they're going to realize that they
2: have to. Oh, this is Bradying. New England was really the first one to figure. I'm not going to say figure out that you could do this, but do it to this level. Right. Of you're openly manipulating the salary cap, but this brings Ben back. My question is exactly how good is this team going to be? Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that coming up uh, on the program,
0: as well as the NBA rumors that are going on right now. We are down to the end of the first half of the season. Tonight is the last night before the All Star break kicks in. We're going to have the All Star couldn't
2: come quick enough for me. (laughs) We're going to have the All
0: Star break uh, on, or excuse me, the All Star game and festivities on Sunday. Remember, we're going to have. What what time is all this going to kick off? Like five o'clock in the evening, something like on that, on Sunday, where we're going to have the three point competition and the skills competition, then the first half of the basketball game, uh, then the slam dunk competition in the middle of the of the uh, All Star game, and then the second half, all on Sunday, and as teams are getting to the to the break, they're making the decisions on, are we contenders or are we not contenders? And Sham Sharania of The Athletic put out a whole bunch of trade targets today. And we'll get into those and decide, you know, we'll chop it up onto who is actually one or two moves away from being really relevant in the NBA. Plus, we'll have you just a bit outside the weird news of the day as well. All of it coming on your way right here on ESPN Asheville. So, Big Ben has restructured his deal. They've got four, four voidable years apparently on the end of this contract, so they can spread out the bonus. Is that that's what this is about? The bonus money, yes, is what's going to be stretched
2: out for the next five years. Yes, and okay. it's not it's not actually going to be stretched out. So it's voided, mm-hmm. and when it's vo- it's just like when a player retires, you still had this much money due. That's voided out, and you'll have a dead cap hit next year. It'll wind up costing them. If I understood this correctly, it'll end up costing them about $5 million in dead cap next year. Okay. Because this is the this is the swan song.
0: This is the last year everybody's agreeing that he's going to be done after this year, correct? Oh, absolutely. I, I think he's done right now. He's not done right now. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't that bad this year. The end of the season was horrible for them, but he was still good. It wasn't on him solely that they lost, is it? I mean, he threw four interceptions in the playoff game against the Cleveland Browns, which was god awful. But if you think of think of it in full terms of the season, I mean he led his team to a twelve and three record. How is how can that be seen as oh, this guy's gotta be done?
2: But I mean you'd have to watch the film at the end of the year. I mean, he just looked I, I said this probably Six weeks left in the season. Mm-hmm. I remember the Washington game specifically. It started to look as though he couldn't throw anymore. Uh-huh. Every throw looked forced. He was inaccurate and maybe he was hurt. I don't know. He's a 39 year old guy. That's completely in the realm of possibility. But he looked bad. And now I'm looking at it. You had a full complement of weapons last year. You had, I mean, you couldn't run, but. You had Juju Smith-Schuster, who's going to be gone, most likely. Mm-hmm. Ali Villanueva, who's probably going to be gone. You've already lost Pouncy, mm-hmm. Bud Dupree. I mean, that's a lot to lose in one offseason. And you've got the Browns that we talked about this morning in the Sportsocracy YouTube Live nine AM every day. And this is their year. This is the year that the, this is the last year the Browns have before they're paying Baker Mayfield ridiculous money. Yes. This is the last year before the Baltimore Ravens are paying Lamar Jackson ridiculous money. Mm-hmm. So those two are going all in. Well, you've already gone all in. So to me, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense other than it's a guy that just doesn't want to retire. Right. And I kind of look at Drew Brees the same way.
0: Well, I think I think the Steelers and the Saints are in a very similar boat. You've got one guy for one more year, and you got to take your shot. you got to do what you can. Because having them on your team, you know, old and infirmed, and in Ben's case, you know, severely overweight, uh, (laughs) I I think it's funny that
2: you go the severely
0: overweight route. Of course I do. Uh, If there's any expert in being severely overweight or dare I say morbidly obese, then it
2: should be me. That's the third person I've heard you call fat today, and and I let it go the first two times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third time I'm like. (laughs) <laughs> look i
0: criticize people's play all the time by no means am i saying that i'm a better player than they are so when i criticize someone's weight by no means am i saying i'm in better shape than they are i'm just saying it's pretty obvious that ben roethlisberger showed up for his year 38 season looking like you know 250 pounds of chewed
2: bubble gum well he's and, 39 and, right He's 39, and he's a guy that's never been great at keeping himself from getting hit.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I just look at him and go, you know what? He was a middle-of-the-road quarterback. I mean, right now in the NFL, how many starting quarterbacks would you take over Ben Roethlisberger? Because I think it's 16. I was going to say 15, probably. It's at least half the league. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just look at it, and you've got got so many players that are not going to be back. I just don't know how this goes well. I don't know I, how this doesn't have a last game of the season next year, the swan song. They're playing the Bengals, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't matter. They're they're eight and eight, seven and nine, and it's like wow that that was the that was the sparkler send off at a wedding. But you're like, not, that was that was much better in in thought than it was in actuality,
0: right? But you're not in a position right now. I, I mean. You're still in a position with Ben Roethlisberger to be able to compete, but what's your definition of compete? Um, you're in the
2: race for the division. No, with you're not.
0: Three or four no, weeks to not. go in the season.
2: No, you're not. Baltimore and Cleveland are both drastically better than this team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, th- I mean, not Cleveland. I wouldn't put
0: Cleveland in that. But I thought Baltimore was better than Pittsburgh coming into this year, and Pittsburgh rolls off 11 wins in a row, and
2: think, things can happen is all I'm saying. And, and here's the thing. They could pull some weird gymnastics where Villanueva comes back. You're going to lose Bud Dupree one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I see no way you can bring him back. No. And Because they I look, the, the defense last is, year, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and the defense is predicated on the ability to get to the quarterback. You're not going to be able to do that as well without Bud Dupree. Saw it at the end of last year. That's one of the underrated things of what happened to this team. Bud Dupree got hurt. All of a sudden, they couldn't get the quarterback anymore. Mm-hmm. You're scared of T.J. Watt. Okay, let's double-team him. He's still going to get his, but the guy on the other side is not. Right. A rookie out of Charlotte whose name, I, Highsmith is his last name, but I can't think of his first name. Mm-hmm. Alex. Alex Highsmith, that's right. And I, I just look at it and go, that's that's going to be next year in a nutshell. That team that couldn't beat anybody at the end of the year, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you're... That that team is coming back minus a few pieces, and I just don't see how it's going to be drastic. I mean, they're going to be. I'm not saying they're going to be four and twelve. Mm-hmm. This is a seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seventeen. That I don't think makes the playoffs. But to me, that's kind of that's kind of my point. Is
0: if I'm looking at this, if I'm AR two, and I'm looking at my team, and I'm thinking. What's my best scenario? My Just best... call him Ar Two. I did. What is
2: up with you today in nicknames? Sorry. You've been calling me weird nicknames all day. I'm gonna need you. To... I'm not a nickname guy. That's not. You don't like Ar Two? I like that. You're, one. you're the nickname guy, not me.
0: Art Rooney Junior. Art Rooney the Second. Whatever you were. I like to call him did... Ar Two. It took
2: me ten seconds to figure out who you were talking <laughs> about.
0: Uh, but if I'm him and I'm looking at my team and I'm going, what would I rather have? Would I rather have Ben back? Or ruin the relationship that we've had over the last, how many seasons has it been, 15 seasons? Whatever it's been. It's been since a lot. He's, right, since he's been in the league. Do I want to ruin that and have a nasty breakup and be real, real bad with Mason Rudolph as my quarterback? Or do I want to try to give it one more go? Do well, I want to see if we can pull something out here? in the last year of the deal. I think New Orleans and Pittsburgh are in the same spot, and I think they're both going to make the right decision if it
2: turns out that Drew Brees is going to come back. Well, you got put in a bad – bad is a relative term. You got put into a position when he's willing to take the pay cut. Do you realize he threw the second most passes he's thrown in a season in his career last year? I did. Because they couldn't that's, run the ball. That's an error in judgment to they, me. They couldn't do anything with running the ball, so he had to throw. Well, and I guess that's my point, is exactly how much better is that supposed to get? It wasn't really on James Conner. James Conner was an average NFL running back. I'm mm. not trying to defend him. Mm-hmm. But, okay, you draft Najee Harris. You, well, you think he's going to run 1,500 yards? Because I don't at all. And I understand why you're doing it. I, I understand completely what you just said. Mm-hmm. Here would be my my argument to that. If I'm Pittsburgh, I would be in better shape, in my opinion, if you could find a way to get a Mac Jones or somebody like that and just move on. This You had the opportunity for this to be your blip year. Now what you, in my opinion, have done is you've extended that a year, so that'll be next year. Mm-hmm. You got to find a quarterback. You got to find the next guy in line because it's not Mason Rudolph. We all know that, of course. And now you're you're looking at this team going. Well, where are we in the AFC? Are, are we are we eight? Mm-hmm. I mean, because I'm telling you right now, you're not better than the Chiefs. You're not better than the Titans. You're not better than the Colts, Ravens, Browns, Bills, or Dolphins. You're eight at best. Yeah, and that's best case scenario. I left off the Chargers. I left off a Raiders team that I think could be good. You know, then you get into like the Texans and the Jaguars and the Bengals, <laughs> the really bad, the ones. Jets. I left the Jets off. The Jets have a bajillion dollars,
0: right? They're going to rebuild their roster. They'll be in in the talk at a- least in with the preseason the... until they
2: prove to us that they've screwed this up again. I, I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you for the square. I'll tell you why later in the show. Okay. And with the bloodbath that's coming in the NFL, and that is what it has been. Diana Rossini's described it mm-hmm, that way. Mm-hmm. I've had it described that way to me. I think Adam Schefter said that, too. Well, it's become a very common term mm-hmm. because it's a bloodbath coming. And you're seeing the 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 precursors to it. Desmond Trufant gets cut today. Kyle Van Noy gets cut a few days ago. The Raiders cut Gabe Jackson looking to trade Trent Brown. There is a bloodletting coming. And the problem is that if you're a team like the Steelers, you sign this deal with Ben Roethlisberger. He may, he, he takes up 15 million of your cap. You still don't have any money? Best case scenario, you bring back half the guys that that you had and a draft class of rookies. Do you think that's better than any of the seven teams I just said you weren't better than? No, no. And so you're just delaying it a year. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is this is me. You know, I I'm I've said on this show before I'm a weird guy. Yeah, you're not a sentimental guy. No, uh, I said uh, of all the words in the English language. Uh, You could describe me as short before you could describe me as sentimental. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's my thing. Maybe maybe that's why I feel this way. And maybe this is why people get so angry at some of the things I say. It's because, uh, yeah, you had a great run for 15 years, 16 seasons, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Right. Cool. That's great. We're going to put you in the ring honor. you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. But I don't have any interest in doing this again. I mean, we knew knew a week ago when Art Rooney said it that it was happening. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, is this what's really best for you? I mean, so you know, you are going to retool this roster for a thirty-nine-year-old quarterback to maybe make it as a wild card and get drilled by the Bills. No, I don't think so. I think you patchwork it so that the bridge
0: is not—you know—the gap to make up after Ben goes is not so
2: big. But I mean how? Are you, so here would be my question: How are you going to do that? Well, that's a great question. Uh, they don't pay me to do that. Uh <laughs> Well, I mean that's the thing. That, I mean you can you can throw out. I mean if we could ride a unicorn, then this would all. Be, Work True. out hunky dunky, but those don't exist. Right. It, it is what it is. I just, you know,
0: there's a lot of sense to the to the to your mantra of if you're going to be bad, just be bad, be brutal, be, be
2: Lions br- Texans, right? Jacksonville Jaguars. But, but think bad.
0: about it this way: it, it, with Mason Rudolph on this team or leading this team next year, you take Ben out of the equation. Whatever we can do in the off season. With Mason Rudolph at the helm, do you feel like this team is going to compete for one of those top five draft picks? I don't. Oh, I still see it totally them It depends. I still see them as a six and ten, seven and nine, somewhere in there. If you're gonna be that with Big Ben, why would you not
2: just do it this way? I guess this is where we have a patent disagreement. I don't think they're that much better with Ben than they would be with Mason Rudolph. Because I think the pieces are right. you gotta understand. When I did their off-season charting to mm-hmm. see where, when I was working on mock drafts and things like that, there's seven starters minimum that are not going to be back on this team. Mm-hmm. You don't have elite young talent. But, I mean, really, name me the name me the five cost-controlled young guys on this team. And by the way, that's what you have to have in the NFL. Right. You have to draft well because you have to have cheap premier talent. Right? Who do they have? I agree with you. Mika Fitzpatrick, who cost them a one. Mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster, who's a free agent and Chase Claypool. And that's it. Yeah. But if they moved on from Ben, would it not cost them more money than doing what they just did? It would, but it, it delays it a year. It's not like you're going to bring it. Because here's the thing. If you want to talk about uncomfortable partings of ways, let's say Matt Jones somehow fell to them in the first round. And that's right. a team that he's been attached to a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I'm not just pulling that out of the air. Let's say Mac Jones falls to them, and Steeler-Fateful does not do well with bad. Mm-hmm. They don't do bad well. Mm-hmm. If you go four weeks into the season and you're one in three, there's going to be a portion of this fan base that's screaming from the rooftops to put in Mac Jones. Yes. This is the same fan base that thinks they should fire Mike Tomlin. Right. in large part, thinks they should fire Mike Tomlin, who I think is one of the five best coaches in the league. I don't think it's debatable. Agreed. That See, this is where, that, that's where my problem is. So now you can't do that. All right, we're going to have Mason Rudolph. They know he's not good. You're not, you're not going to get a whole lot of pushback about Mason Rudolph. Mm-hmm. But you've delayed everything a year. And so you're just sitting around, in my opinion, you're just sitting around wasting time, but waxing poetic about the good old days. Right. Oh, how good was Ben when we won a Super Bowl 29 years ago? <laughs> I, and that's just not me. Right. Maybe it's the maybe it's the scout in me, and, and that's been opined before. That For me, there's a new class of guys coming every year mm-hmm. that I deep dive on and I can get excited about. And there are certain teams I just don't feel like they do that. Right. The Steelers have picked so have picked so deep in drafts every year that you don't have that guy that's going to change your franchise. It's been been forever, mm-hmm. and maybe that's it. I I don't know, but I look at this. I saw this and just went, oh no. But I think it's more about the money again. Like if they, let- it's not about the money. Okay, if they wanted to have a pure bloodletting, they could have done that. And this is the year to do it because there's mm-hmm. a ready made excuse to do it. Right. But now, what, well, what you I'm can't saying, do is, is you can't treat Ben poorly. And as soon as Ben mm-hmm. came out and said, I'm willing to take the, the pay cut, well, you're stuck. You're stuck. Jeremy, you may not be a sentimental guy, but a lot of
0: sports fans are very, very sentimental. Well, and that... when it comes to saying goodbye to your heroes and to the guys that have you know, led you to the promised land, it's, it's hard to say goodbye. In the words of Jerry Seinfeld, like a Band-Aid. One stroke, right off! (laughs) You're in the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green here on ESPN Asheville. You're in the Sports Tank. Who are we going to cheer for on Sundays now? Nobody! Jeremy's not the sentimental type. He doesn't believe in fairy tale endings, and no, I, I'm not.
2: <laughs> That's not me. I just I I can't help it. It's not me. Big Ben
0: Roethlisberger coming back to the Pittsburgh Steelers for one more year. I am all about it. Uh, if only for the Steelers fans that I love. My the, wife is a Steelers right, fan. The Steelers so. fans in our lives love Ben Roethlisberger. My wife's a Steelers fan. Your wife's a Steelers fan. And as far as my wife goes, Big Ben hangs the moon and there's nothing he could do wrong. Now, obviously, she's wrong about that, but he is, he is a fun player to have followed over the past 15 years. And, you know, I think this made the most financial sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers to be able to extend this deal out, spread the money out, you save money. And really, even if your team's going to be Bad you're gonna be in that uh that that purgatory of eight and eight, seven and nine, six and ten. I would much rather do it with Ben Rothlisberger than to do it with Mason Rudolph. That's just me. Let's have the one the one final send off. It's a sentimental thing. And that's why you don't get it. Just like Sign in one-day contracts with the team that you had the most success with so you can retire as a member of that organization. To a lot of fans, that kind of stuff matters. And the Carolina Panthers are going to do it next week with Greg Olson and Thomas Davis. Both guys are coming back to sign a one-day deal so that they can retire as a member of the franchise that they had their greatest successes with. Both guys ingrained in the community, they're going to be in the Panthers Hall of Fame. At least one of them is going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. What's the what is the problem with this? When I told you this earlier, you laughed,
2: and I don't understand why. I hate the one day contract. It doesn't make sense, though. I, I mean, just, why? You're right. It doesn't make sense. Why just? Have, so, why not so be so able to have, have the have ceremony? Have, you're, you're gonna have ceremony. You're gonna have it. Why do we have to do it now and make a mockery of, oh, we signed a one-day contract and retired? Again, not the most sentimental person you've ever met. And you know what? I thought of it's something during a mockery, the break. mockery, though. It doesn't hurt anybody. I, I, I didn't say it did. It's just something that we wind up having to talk about, and I'm, it just annoys me. <laughs> There's another thing I thought about during the break. Uh huh. Maybe this is the reason that I, I, I'm not big on these things. I pull for a team that is as savage as they come. Mm-hmm. Chad Pennington, one of the best players we've had in my lifetime, Brett Favre, we got we got a season of Brett Favre. Bye, Chad.
0: We'll call you. <laughs> Just because your franchise is god awfully run, and you don't have not to, anymore, you don't have guys that are probably one willing to come back, or you haven't hung on to them long enough to develop a an emotional relationship with them over the years. Yeah, we're not run poorly anymore. Well, you—I mean, you want to believe that? It's not a believe it. It, It's—I know. (laughs) (laughs) I keep telling you, don't get your hopes so high, because this thing—I mean, the Jets—over and over and over—have just kicked you right in the in the keister over the years. Not this time. Not this time. This time is going to be different. This time we're actually going to take a franchise quarterback at number two. And this time we're actually going to spend money on free agents that won't be headaches in the locker room and won't be problems down the road. Oh yeah. I, I and was we trying get CJ
2: Mosley back this
0: year. CJ Mosley's coming back. Yes, that's going to help you out a lot. But uh, I was thinking about this after you laughed at uh, the Carolina Panthers and them bringing back Greg Olson and Thomas Davis to sign one year or one day deals to retire as a franchise. Who could you even do that with with the New York Jets? Curtis
2: Martin. He never left. Wayne Corbett. He never left. Okay. Uh, who could we do it with? We could have done it with like a lot of people. Darrell Rivas? Oh, we did do it with a Rivas. But he actually retired with us. He came back and played his last horrible year with uh-huh. us. Okay. So, I mean, and maybe that's the point, is that we just... I, I've never... I pull for the team, not the player. Right. You're a pull for the player, not the team. No, I'm a pull for both. I'm not. I am. I, I've always been that way. Uh, there, are, there are 53 guys a year that are my guys, mm-hmm. and they're they're all Jets. See, it's the problem that I have with baseball or with uh, football, it's I, I,
0: I'm not with. I'm not like I am with football, like I am with baseball or basketball. Like with basketball, you know, once a Tar Heel, always a Tar Heel kind of thing. And if you're always, you know, if you're a Duke guy, you're always a Duke guy and I'm always going to hate you no matter what. Gerald Henderson's a great example of that. Comes to play for the Charlotte Hornets. I didn't want anything to do with him the entire time he was there. And then you look at baseball. Come be a Red Sox. Love you to death. If you go to the Yankees, you're pretty much dead to me. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Football's completely different for me because I can root for the players just as much as I can for the teams. And I really don't have any teams that I hate in the NFL, unlike you who I hates hate all. all
2: thirty-one teams that aren't the New York Jets. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, do. I hate them all. And I can—that's what's funny to me. So this is something that I've—I've I've come to realize. You know, we've been trying to grow the YouTube channel, and we're doing more targeted videos and all these things. We've been doing off-season breakdowns of every team. You can find mm-hmm. them on our YouTube page right now at the Sportsocracy. I have gotten I've had more people tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, and I ask one very simple question: Do you pull for this team? The answer is always yes, uh-huh. every time, uh-huh. And my only response is, see, you're not objective. I'm objective mm-hmm. because I have my team who has screwed me so many times that I'm objective about them, right. And the other 31 I can't stand. So I just look at the, like I don't have a preference. I don't have a second favorite team. I don't have any of those things. So I look at this objectively, and this is I, I guess this goes back to the Ben thing. I can objectively say your best case scenario was for Ben to ride off into the sunset. You have the fun ceremony, him and Pouncey retire together, and this is your ugly year where you go four and twelve. But that's not what fans usually do. In the words of Colin Cowherd, fan is short is short for fanatic. Mm-hmm. But the contract wouldn't allow you to do that. No, it would have. If Ben said he would've.
0: wanted to come back, you can't just cut him.
2: I mean, you would have to eat forty million dollars to do that. No, you wouldn't. None of this. Very little of this money was guaranteed. It's like a fifteen million dollar cap hit to mm-hmm. just. Whoosh. But you'd have had to have cut him, and that's uncomfortable. It's and it's, fans it's, don't want to do that. A bad that. sign. You don't and do that. Oh, we can't cut Ben. He's been here forever. Uh, okay. Well, three years from now, when you're you're still a year away from being a year away, mm-hmm. just remember who told you. You could have been a year closer, but you chose not to do that.
1: On the weird scale, there's Vegas, there's Florida. That's
2: the wrong button.
0: This one. This is the one. Buttons are fun. The sports tag. Just a bit outside.
2: Alright, here's the 411,
0: folks. Oh, um, my apologies. Uh, yeah, it's time to get just a bit outside, and you know, we've heard the speculation for years, but it's never been really confirmed by anyone. But now the speculation's continuing again, and it's popped back up in the news because the former president of the Miami Marlins, David Sampson, went on a radio show and said, you know what? Uh, we we know, every or everybody in baseball knew, that when he signed his 10-year deal, for 240 million dollars with the Los Angeles Angels that Albert Pujols was lying about his age that there is no one in the baseball world he claims that believes that Albert Pujols is just 41 years old right now his 10 year deal will be up at the end of this year and it's been you know well talked about that this will be the final year no one will give Albert Pujols a contract in Major League Baseball, after this contract is up, he is way overpaid and has been for what the last four or five years in Major League Baseball, but because he was such a prolific talent in his prime, he, get, he you know he got this 24 million dollar a deal year. But year he got, deal Is that what I said? Yeah, you said a deal, deal year? year. a deal year? I, I mean that's, there's one one deal year left. Albert Pujols, though, at the time of negotiating this contract, had everybody believing that he was 31 years old. And David Sampson says, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And in fact, it's been proven before that a lot of players that came out of the Dominican Republic have lied about certain things. He uses the example of Wandy Rodriguez, who... Not only lied about his age to say that he was two years younger than he actually was when he was coming up as a prospect, because it wasn't so much you know it didn't really turn heads when you told everybody that you're an 18-year-old that could throw 92 miles an hour. Tell everybody that you're a 16-year-old who can throw 92 miles an hour. then all of a sudden the scout's ears start perking up. Well, not only did he do that, but he changed his name as well. His original name was not Wandy Rodriguez. He was trying to piggyback off of his friend Indy Cabrera and shortened up his name and lied about his age. So here's this 16-year-old kid who could throw 92. It's not out of the realm of possibility, and, and in fact, this is just more evidence that, yeah, maybe everybody does know that Albert Pujols is
2: actually, what, 43, 44 years old Maybe. Only in baseball does that matter. The sport that that requires the the least amount of athleticism is the sport where you're the most worried about how Stop that.
0: Golf is definitely the sport that requires the least amount of athleticism. You
2: stop that. Uh, Tiger Woods in his prime was in better shape than anybody in Major League Baseball, and it's not even debatable. You're wrong. You're so wrong about that. I can show you pictures to change your mind. Okay. Tiger Woods jumped out of airplane, out of helicopters with Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. He literally passed SEAL school. So I always laugh when people say, "Oh, it doesn't take any athleticism big be a golfer." Cool. Let me introduce you to a couple because there are a couple of them that I have met personally that are gigantic humans. Mm-hmm. Everybody always says, "Oh, Patrick Reed's a little doughy." Yep, meet him up close. <laughs> Tell him he's doughy to his face. I dare, I you. dare you to do it. Speaking of things that make me laugh that people say, Syracuse men's basketball coach Jim Bayheim questioned a reporter's credibility based on his height and perceived lack of basketball experience following a 64-54 home win over Clemson on Wednesday yes. night. I need you to understand, he said this, and they won. I also need you to understand that this was Matthew Gutierrez of The Athletic, who covers Syracuse, that said if uh, Jesse Edwards and Kadari Richmond. Had logged more minutes, they would be somewhere around seventeen and five. Mm-hmm. First of all, that is nonsense. Don't say things like that. So, <laughs> Beheim, when he was asked about it, uh, responded to the and it was a tweet from Matthew Gutierrez. He said, right. "But if I would played Jesse and Kadari, we'd probably be twenty two and two right now." I just didn't see that. Couldn't figure it out by myself after forty five years. I need a reporter to figure that out who's never played basketball and is five two.
0: I love crotchety old men in basketball. Oh,
2: Jim Beheim is. I, I'm going to be honest with you. If I live that long, and the chances of that are slim to none, and none just, and slim just left, <laughs> uh, and that's going to be me. Just, just stop questioning me, right? Like, well, and I it's mean, Jim Beheim. This is a Hall of Fame basketball coach, right? If a kid's not, and maybe this is the coach in me that gets a little touchy when these things come up. If a kid's not playing, I guarantee you there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. There's always a reason why. And so you see them in short little bursts five minutes off the bench and go oh that kid would be so good if he was starting no he wouldn't and you know why because he'd be defended being he would be being defended by starters or he would be having to defend starters mm-hmm. you're seeing him against the fourth guy off the bench stop just don't do that now the response could have been a little nicer but there's a part of me that goes you know what Jim Beheim is 106 years old or something like that and he's 110 percent correct he's not wrong no. he's not wrong. This is, this is the Jay Billis
0: thing all over again. When, I, G, when, when Jim Bayheim said that Jalen Johnson, uh, or that Duke without Jalen Johnson was a better team and Jay Billis went after him, what was Jim Bayheim's response? Do you remember? He said, I, he said, pretty much, I have forgotten more about basketball than Jay Billis will ever know. So don't come at me just because you're an analyst and you have a microphone in front of your face because, what happened the next game after he said that Duke beat Syracuse pretty handily. Yeah. And he went, see, I was right. Jay Billis can talk all he wants to, but I know more about basketball than he does. And he's not wrong. And I love it when the older guys get this attitude of like, really? Really? I guarantee you that if you asked them, Jim Bayheim, Roy Williams, Mike Shashevsky, all the old school coaches, they would much rather go back to coaching 20 years ago. Oh, when and none not of in these the social voices media age? Yeah. When none of these voices existed, Jay Billis, you know, wasn't spiking the meter on anything. And you've got all of these, you know, all of these people coming in to question you and what you're doing. I mean, 20 years ago, you did I doubt. Maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt you'd ever have a student newspaper journalist asking or saying something to Mike Shashevsky about how bad his
2: coaching job is. Yeah, you overblow that one, in my opinion. But I mean, it, I have no problem that the guy said what he said. Mm-hmm. That's our job. Our job is to give you opinions. Mm-hmm. I also love when people tell me that. Well, it's just your opinion. Yep. I'm well aware of that. Yep. It's kind of the idea of how, this, how game. this whole thing right. works. <laughs> right. But at the same time, if that's how Bayhaw wants to respond, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-mm. I heard it and almost spit coffee on my computer this morning. Yeah. Somebody sent it to me on Twitter.
0: And of course, the, uh, you know, the knee jerk reaction crowd, the, the
2: softies are all just like, oh, I can't believe he's picking on someone for being short. I don't, I, I mean, it didn't bother me. But then again, I'm six four. So I, had a, right. never going to be able to fire that one at me. Now you can talk about my width. It's my height. You can't really, uh, well, no.
0: At least I'm taller than uh, than than Gutierrez here. I think you he got him by about half an it. inch. <laughs> I knew you were going to go down that path. Jim Beheim, I love it. I absolutely love it.
2: I want him to make the tournament. Just because, I mean, I, I think Beheim's just gone completely out of his mind. There's no filter on that man at all, and there hasn't been much of one for a long time. Mm-mm. He's more unfiltered now than I've ever heard him before. Mm-hmm. Now, because at some point you just give up trying. I
0: want I'm looking forward to being that age. Like I'm always going to be the crotchety old man, and there's nothing I can do about it. And at this point, I'm not going to lose sleep over hurting somebody's feelings. Oh, I, I I'm really not. Because I'm too I'm too old to worry about this stuff. And what are you going to really? What are you going to do
2: to me? I'm looking forward to being that age. I want to be at that point where because I don't know how much less somebody could care than I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's a level. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> Sometimes you just you get
0: to a point where you're too old to care anymore. I mean, we've heard this for years. It's been in how many comedy skits over the years and stand-up comic bits about how you know old guys will say anything and do anything and wear anything
2: and whatever. You just get to a point where it's not worth caring anymore. You know what I just figured out? uh apparently albert poles and i have have something in common i think i've been lying about my age i think i'm actually 74 years old (laughs) because everything you just said describes me to a t (laughs) now there's a difference between being you know
0: an older guy who's earned the right to be that way and just being a jack wagon and you fall into that latter
2: category that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me i know i know you feel
0: feel good. Uh let's let, let's talk about this uh this bloodbath that's going on in the NFL. We had another announcement just before we went on the air that Desmond Trufant has now gotten the notice that he's going to get his walking papers from the Detroit Lions. We've had Kyle Van Noy, we've had Kyle Rudolph, how many other Kyle's have been let loose? Golden Tate. Uh Golden Tate's one of them. They are, you know, teams at this point are just finding a way to make these numbers work. They have they either have to get under the cap because they're already over it because the projection on the cap was 30 million dollars above where it's going to be this year. And you have been telling us that this is going to continue and that some of the names are going to surprise us. Oh, yeah.
2: On the cuts. This is a horrible time to not have guaranteed money. There are more te- there are markedly more teams, actually, that are over the cap as of right now than have more than $40 million. Mm-hmm. There are five teams that have more than $40 million. And you've got huge, heavy hitter free agents in this free agent class. Do you know how many teams are over the cap right now? Like 11? It is 11 on the yeah. nose. The Bills are, are the closest to the number at 214,000. Mm-hmm. But there are 11 teams that are over the cap. There's just, you're gonna, this is going to be one of those weird markets. And it's the reason that I'm looking at teams like the Jets, Jaguars, and Colts going, you don't want to mess with that team mm-hmm. because they can do anything they want. And I hear these numbers. like I, I, I believe it was Bleacher Report that said Allen Robinson was going to get $20 million a year. I mean I'm. I'm. I'm going to step out on a limb here and say no. He is not because <laughs> they don't have to pay him that much. No, because there's only so many teams that could pay him. Mm-hmm. Over half the league doesn't have 18 million dollars. But he could or 20 million. I mean, do you think that the bidding war over Allen Robinson
0: could get that high between two teams? No. Well, at he's not some, going back to Jacksonville. I was going to say, at, but at some point, because if he's being tied to the to the Dolphins. Mm-hmm.
2: And the Jets are right there with money, and they could definitely use Allen Robinson. The teams that have money are going to be able to call their shot because they're going to be able to pay you what your fair market value is. Right. The rest of these teams are going to be asking you to take a discount so you can play for a winner. And i got news for you. The numbers that you're seeing, they're not reflective of what you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Your Buccaneers have $15 million in cap space. That's without Chris Godwin, Shaq Griffin, Levante David. Now, you got some contracts you could rework. Shaq Barrett. What did I say? Shaq Griffin. He well, plays the Yeah, plays he plays Seattle. for the Seahawks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other Shaq. The Seahawks don't have any money, and he's a free agent, too. So. Right, exactly. I mean, you're going to see teams that, that they're trying to sell you on a one-year deal or a mm-hmm. two-year deal at below market value. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these guys are just going to go, No, you know what? I don't want to. I want to go play with the Jets who have a rookie quarterback and a ton of money and four picks in the next two drafts. Or I want to go play with Urban Meyer and the Jaguars that have, you know, this this long haired kid from Clemson that's a generational talent at quarterback. Or and this is the one that gets undersold. The Colts have a ton of talent already. They just added a quarterback that that Frank Reich is really comfortable with. I'm going to go do that. We're going to go win a Super Bowl. The the, the JJ Watt thing. I'm telling you, it's not as crazy to think the Cardinals are a contender as people are making this out to be. Right. Because some of these contenders that you're used to being good year in and year out, next year or next week, you're going to see guys come off those teams that blow your mind. They've been there forever. Oh, that's the best player on the team. Well, they have to get out of the cap.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sorry. That's, that's the way it is. And every team in the league knows if you're one of these teams that's in the red, you're going to have to do something that you don't want to do and they're going to be there to pick up the pieces. And there's only so much money.
0: I'm really interested to see how it all shakes out because one I mean you already have a plethora of very very talented guys that are out there on the market, right? This is now. the best group you of have, free agents I've ever seen. Mm-hmm, you have fr- really ever? Okay. You have very few teams with money, so that means that the numbers got to come down on these guys. So you you may even be in you know don't panic immediately when you hear one of these guys get cut because there may be an opportunity you could bring him back for cheaper.
2: Now that's possible
0: right, but there is going to be and them. I think that's the game that
2: franchises are willing to play right
0: now they, they have to right let's see what we can get. Let's see if we can if we can get him back on a deal fine. if not, I guarantee you there's another guy who's comparable to him that we can get on a deal.
2: The guys you're seeing right now, this is trimming the fat. We're, we're in the. Th- these are the guys that we either didn't want or we have a better replacement or whatever the case may be. You're not to the difficult decisions yet. Those are coming in the next 13 days. Mm-hmm. These are the guys we didn't want to cut, but we got to get under the cap somehow and we're out of money.
0: You're in the sports tank with Jeremy Green here on ESPN Asheville. 92.9 FM, 880 AM, and 1400. Your ticket to some money coming up next. Green on green.
2: The coffee's the closers on. Get on the market. And when you get the money, you get the power. That watch mm-hmm. costs more than your car. And when you get the power, then you get the woman. Don't look now, but Jeremy's getting hot again. Welcome back into the Sports Sync. I have four <laughs> picks tonight for you. One in the NBA, three in college basketball, off a five-and-one night last night. First one, the Denver Nuggets are a four-and-a-half-point favorite against the Indiana Pacers. Indiana's 0-5 against the number in their last five games, and they're not just missing it. They're, get, they're losing They're Teams are covering the spread by five-plus points on them every night. Indiana's not well-rested. They're banged up. I'm taking Denver minus the four-and-a-half. If you listen to us pick college games during the football season, you know that there's one thing I love more than anything. Underdog, 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 underdog. underdog. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder. The Iowa State Cyclones are a 17-point dog to Texas Tech today. They shouldn't be a 17-point dog against anybody in the Big 12 not named Baylor. And Texas Tech ain't Baylor. Iowa State's 5-2 and two against the spread on the road against conference teams. They're bad. They're not that bad. Take Iowa State plus 17. Next up, the Texas Longhorns are a 2.5-point dog to the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma's good. Here's the problem. They can't defend the three to save their life, and nobody takes more of them in the Big 12 than Texas. Texas is not just going to win this game. I think they're going to walk them. Take Texas. I'll, I'll take the two and a half, but I'm willing to take them in the money line. Finally, Oklahoma State is a 12-point dog tonight to Baylor. Oklahoma State's 17th in the country, and they're a 12-point dog. Cade Cunningham is a fantastic player. The first two time, the first time these two teams played, uh, Oklahoma State was up at halftime and Cade Cunningham didn't play. He's going to play tonight. I like the Baylor Bears. I'll take them outright. Go and do likewise, gents. The money's out there. You pick it up, it's yours. You don't. I got no sympathy for you. Let me correct that. I like the Oklahoma State Cowboys. <laughs> I'll take them
0: outright. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you're taking them an outright.
2: When? Yeah, yeah, I am. I think that game against West Virginia has, it's going to have an effect. You go up against that press from, from Press Virginia. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the same two nights later. You're just not. And now you have to defend the best player in college basketball. Good luck with that.
0: I don't know. I think if there's, uh, if there's anything, any team in the Big 12 that can neutralize Cade Cunningham, I
2: think it might be Baylor. I'm going to remind you, you said that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it- Feel free. When he goes for 30, 12, and 8, I'm going to remind you you said that. <laughs> and they still lose by 12. Now yeah, maybe. Do I, get, uh, do I get some points if they still win? Nah, it's a push. If, uh, they... if, now if they lose by 13, then maybe we'll talk. All right.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. How about, uh, how about some more Monkey Knife Fight action? Let's do this. Go to monkeyknifefight.com today. Sign up create your account when you do don't forget to use the promo code tank t-a-n-k at monkeyknifefight.com daily fantasy sports props they will match your initial investment up to fifty dollars and also give you a five dollar free play which you can use that free
2: play on tonight's game jeremy i'm playing the more or less 3.3 x multiplier in the denver nuggets and indiana pacers i've learned my lesson on doubting nikola Jokic. i'll go over 26 and a half points for him over twenty and a half for Malcolm Brogdon.
0: Very good. Last night didn't did, didn't hit on last night. James Harden uh, screwed I, you on that one. I believe I did it backwards.
2: <laughs> I should have said less <laughs> for Harden and more for John Wall.
0: Right. <laughs> James Harden didn't uh, didn't break the twenty nine and a half mark. No, no he, he had twenty nine. Twenty nine.
2: Yeah, he had twenty nine. Yeah.
0: John Wall had thirty six. A little rough. We got Tar Heel time with Jones Angel coming up next after Sports Center. This is. The Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. You look at my numbers, I'm I'm balling. Beer City's best sports talk is on
1: the air. Get involved. Call 252-4348. Tweet the show at Sports Tank ESPN. The Sports Tank. Come get you some of this. Can't wait. I
0: strapped in for the second hour of the program here on ESPN Asheville, 92.9 FM, 880 AM. At 1400, this hour of the program, as always, brought to you by Wicked Weed Brewing. Check them out online. Make your beer order today at wickedweedbrewing.com. You can also, you know, schedule a brewery tour, all that stuff on their website, wickedweedbrewing.com. Oh, don't forget to check out the merch store as well. They got some pretty cool merch uh, for you. Uh, Wicked Weed Brewing, drink different. It's four o'clock on a Thursday, which means. It's Tar Heel time with Jones Angel, the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, joining us here on ESPN Asheville. And we don't really, we don't really want to have to talk about the game the other night against Syracuse. It was a bit of a letdown, Jones, 72-70, to 70, Syracuse surviving after North Carolina did make a push there at the end of the game uh, to try to come back and win it. But uh, the, the mistakes, again, are just too much, Jones.
1: Well, that's kinda of been I, I thought that window of time Saturday, Sunday, Monday, kinda of summed up Carolina's season, right? I mean, the the had that terrific win on Saturday in the Smith Center against Florida State. The mm-hmm. the really uh excellent play in the second half. The crowd was there, you know, the small number, but you know, about thirty two hundred uh people were there and yeah it just it felt good and it felt like a big ACC Saturday win and you know, I think uh, for a lot of Torio fans, you kind of left that game with some hope and going, "Man, yeah, all right, you know, maybe this team is putting it together." And uh, then to to have Monday occur, it was just kind of a kick in the gut because I think we have seen this season uh, that that up and down nature that we've talked about uh, here in the last week or two. Tank of. You know, just uh, you're never quite sure what you're going to get, and and that uh, I think you use the term the the like birth of space between uh, what Carolina could be at its best, and then what mm-hmm. the Tar Heels are when they're far from their best. Uh, it's it's really really wide right now, and so um, you just don't know which Tar Heel team is going to show up. Is it the one that? you know, was playing great defense and moving the ball and, you know, out in transition and forcing turnovers against Florida State? Or was it the one that just couldn't get out of its own way and couldn't get the ball in the basket and wasn't moving well and was turning it over at a really high rate against Syracuse? And and you just don't know. And I think that it makes it a hard team to trust right now. Um, particularly at this point in the year where you know assuming the Tar Heels are safe for the NCAA tournament which I think they are you know I guess the worst case scenario could occur if Carolina you know lost the regular season finale lost first game in the ACC tournament and, and a bunch of spots were taken up by you know un or unusual winners of conference tournaments you know maybe um, Carolina is out but mm-hmm. yeah, even if the Tar Heels are in do, do you trust that they can put together multiple games in a row in the NCAA tournament regardless of opponent and I just don't know if you do right now. And so I think Monday was just a, a frustrating reminder that this team has been unable to find consistency, even coming off what I thought was its, was its best win of the season on Saturday night.
0: Right. It's, it's almost like looking at this Tar Heel team where I go, you know what, first week may not be bad of the NCAA tournament. Um you know, or or actually, that might be the downfall of us having to play someone more akin to us. If we get against a big team, you might pull the surprise. I'm, I almost have more of a feeling after the Florida State game of being able to rise to the challenge, rather than I am, you know, kind of playing to the level of your competition, kind of thing.
1: And I, first, I know that first people game, might and be Tar Heel my, fans are tired of hearing this, right? I, I do think youth is a big. Part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the fact that Carolina does play so many freshmen, and particularly in the backcourt. You know, Carolina does not have a Quentin Thomas or a Nate Britt or somebody like that who you can bring in off the bench and just say, hey, settle things down for us for a minute. You know, get get into some good offense for us here in a minute. Uh, you just don't have that. And so the, the youth all the way around, and it's late in the year, and look, Carolina shouldn't be making some of the mistakes that it still is. I'm not suggesting that the Tar Heels are uh, that they should be. But I, I do think that youth plays a part of it, and particularly when the two guys that handle the ball the most are both true freshmen and are going through this for the very first time. And so I think you've seen that particularly on the offensive side, the inconsistency of Carolina's offense to me has a lot to do with the youth, particularly in that backcourt.
0: Absolutely, and Roy Williams talking after the game. I uh, heard it again last night on primetime in the ACC. They played the clip once again of Roy Williams talking about the turnovers and saying, I can preach this as much as possible in practice throughout the week, and when we get into the locker room at halftime or after the game, but it just doesn't seem like it's clicking with these guys. And it feels to and- me like he, he, he's kind of at the point where I don't know what else to do to hammer yeah. this home, that securing the basketball is the number one thing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I thought he sounded uh, resigned mm-hmm. to the fact that Carolina was a team that was going to turn it over a lot after the Syracuse game. Um, and to the comments, uh, just the ones that you're saying there, you know, it just felt like he had kind of reached that point of frustration. Of, yeah, I can say this till I'm blue in the face, but at some point, it's got to click in there. And, and you know, last three games. Carolina has 30 assists and 60 turnovers, 60 in three games. And this is not – these aren't games in November and December. You know, These are games in late February and early March that we're talking about. And so um, it, it's hard to win when you're giving the ball up that much. And we've talked a lot, Tank, this year. I mean, Carolina's not a terrific shooting team. We understand that. But they are a really good offensive rebounding team. And, and if you just get a shot up – then it's a decent possession for Carolina because they have a good chance to get the rebound better than percentage-wise than anybody else in the country. Um, they get more percentage opportunities of their offensive rebounds than anybody. And so get it up there, and either it goes in or you get a chance to get the rebound, um, and that's how this team's going to score. But if you're giving it away, um, obviously you're, you're not going to – score and not only that but at least uh, particularly in these last two games even in the win against florida state a lot of carolina's turnovers led directly to points so syracuse and florida state combined have more than 50 points off of carolina turnovers there's one i vividly remember in the syracuse game late in the half when dayron sharp had gotten a rebound had tossed it to rj davis and he just kind of fumbled the ball in the Tar Heel backcourt, didn't grab it cleanly. Syracuse picks it up, throws it to Buddy Bayheim, and he makes a three. And all of a sudden, they went from like a one-point Tar Heel lead to a two-point Syracuse lead or something like that. And, and those I mean, th- those are like extra uh, killer turnovers. And, and it feels like Carolina's had a lot of those here as of late as well.
0: Yeah, you have those uh, seven-point swing <laughs> uh, possessions. It's It's not good. And when you have a team, like, you know, we out-rebounded Syracuse by 20 the other night. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do you ever have a team that can out-rebound or dominate the glass like that in a game and still be struggling for your life at the end to even scrape back and make it a game.
1: Yeah, and I think another part of that, too, is, yeah, Carolina's got to make some shots. And You know, I just mm-hmm. say, yeah, you know, the Tar Heels are a great offensive rebounding team, and that is great. And they dominated the glass against Syracuse. But at some point they got to make some shots, and I think another issue is, and we may have talked about this last week, Tank. I apologize, but Kerwin Walton is, you know, had did not shoot well at all against Syracuse, and he didn't have a great game necessarily against Florida State. He was three of seventeen in those two games from three. Obviously, much lower than what we've seen from him in total this year, but he's a freshman and there's every freshman in the history of basketball has had a game or two where the ball's not going in for him the, the problem is carolina just doesn't have a consistent threat outside of kerwin walton from the perimeter so when he's having a tough game shooting you can't go okay you know this maybe not quite kerwin's night we're not going to forget about him of course but you know let's see if Player X can, you know, let's get him an open look from the perimeter, see if we can loosen up this defense a little bit. Yeah, Carolina just doesn't have a consistent threat right there, or right now from there. And so, um, and yet having said everything, everything that you and I have talked about for the last five minutes, it still wouldn't surprise me if Carolina uh, you know, comes out the next several games and plays really, really well, because we've seen that they have that capability too. Um, because for 20 minutes uh, against Florida State, The Tar Heels looked uh, like one of the better teams in the ACC and and a ranked, you know, a top 20 ish type of team in the country. It's just finding that more often has been the challenge.
0: Yeah. 359 turnovers is what the Tar Heels have turned Mm -hmm. in this year. Uh, Yeah, they've
1: never had a negative assist to turnover ratio for a season under Roy Williams, and they still do have more assists than turnovers right now, mm-hmm. but it's pretty close. It's within like 10 or 20 of each other uh, this, uh, this late in the season. So certainly a uh, uh, anomaly for a Roy Williams coach team. For per, sure.
0: per game, it's within a half. Yeah. Uh, 15 and a half assists a game and 15 turnovers a game. Mm -hmm. that's never where you want to see your team be, especially when it comes to March. You know, I'm a firm believer that the teams that are going to go farthest in March madness are the teams that are going to take care of the basketball. They've got, you know, probably some good shooters on the outside, or they've at least, you know, a a veteran backcourt really helps once you get, you know, stabilize things. Once you get into the, the wild tournament times. And that's the one thing that this Tar Heel team is missing and so my question becomes, how do they make up for that and get the bigs more involved and get them to hang on to the basketball as well? Because we've seen at times where, you know, like in a Florida State game, Walker Kessler can come in and make a huge impact if Armando Baycott's in foul trouble and, and, and all of that. Um, but it hasn't been a consistent thing that where they put it together for many, many games in a row.
1: Yeah, if I could pick one thing, and I don't know if there's one, you know, magic bullet here that would, that would help Carolina in that regard, I would say movement. You know, I think sometimes Carolina gets a little stagnant on the interior with their big guys where they kind of sit there and they think they should get the ball and maybe the guard doesn't get it to them immediately. And so they just sit there a little longer and wait for it and wait for it and wait for it. And I think that does bog down things sometimes for the Tar Heels in the half court. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm fortunate because I've got, you know, one of the best big guys ever to play at Carolina and Eric Montross doing the color analyst work uh, with me on the radio network. And Eric talks about that all the time as a big guy, It can be frustrating because you work and work and work to get that position, but you really only have a small window of time once you've earned that spot to get the ball. And, you know, as a big guy, you have to, it's up to somebody else to get it to you. And if it doesn't come immediately, well, that's not what you wanted. But you have to do it again, and you have to keep moving, and you have to stay active, and you have to switch sides of the lane, and you know, all these different things um, to, to keep the possession active and to continue to allow yourself to be a viable option within that possession. And so I do think um, that if I could pick one thing, it would be that from the Tario big guys, is to move more often, move more purposely. It's easy, of course, for me to say this. I'm not the one, you know, getting banged around by the other big guys from the other team. Right. But um, that that would be the number one thing on the court. I think that the big guys could do better is stay active within the possession, even if it doesn't happen for you right away.
0: Yeah, not just to put all the onus on the on the big guys in that scenario. It also takes the backcourt being able to read the movement that they're making.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and there seems to be a lot
0: of miscommunication going on right now of who's going to be where, what my next, uh, you know, what my next option is if the lane closes and I can't drive or if I can't kick it out, what is my next option? It doesn't seem like everybody is on the same page. There's a lot yep. of that, uh, I, I think, I don't know if Roy put it in these terms, but it's kind of how I interpret it. it was, there's a lot of that AAU basketball thing going on out there where everybody wants to make the flashy play, but nobody's looking for the easy play.
1: And again, and I know, again, I've said something similar. I think just this team hasn't been together very much. I mean, it's they have this season. But if you think about the, the best Carolina teams, those are teams that have had guys that have been together for several years now certainly the landscape of college basketball is different now than it was in 1993 or 1982 or even 2009 or to a certain extent 2017 um... It, the the landscape is different guys uh... mindset is different and you have to adjust to that to continue to be successful but um... i do think it is a larger challenge when you have a bunch of guys who this is their first year together. You know, let's say if if somehow this group all stayed together for three seasons or something, I don't think you'd see that miscommunication between Caleb Love and Dayron Sharp or between Walker Kessler as he was setting the screen from for R.J. Davis or whatever that might be if you just have those those banks and banks and banks of hours um, that, that you have together uh, like you do when you grow up a little bit together as not just individuals but as a team.
0: There were three hundred or excuse me, 300, three hundred, three thousand two hundred and sixty-three people in attendance at the Dean Dome for the Florida State game. How did it change the atmosphere in there, you know, from from your standpoint?
1: Yeah. Tremendously. I thought I, I thought they were a big part of the win. And you know, twenty four hundred of those were students, and it felt that way. It felt like a exuberant uh, energized crowd and that's not to say that season ticket holders or donors or sponsors can't be that too um, because of course they can and they are but i think there's just that little extra edge when you've got the a majority of a, a student group that is in there watching the game and and it was interesting tank because i think florida state even in warm-ups they were kind of playing it up a little bit, you know, asking the crowd for some noise and they were being really loud. The the team, the Florida State team was going through its warm-ups and you could tell that they were aware that more people than usual at least for this season were there. And but as the game wore on and as Carolina got some momentum and as Florida State had to go to the line for some important free throws, yeah, I do think that that crowd played a factor and um, it, it is a nice little window into what i hope becomes much more the norm next season where hopefully uh, you know you're getting close to being able to have full capacities in places depending on how the next few months play out but um it, it was a nice reminder of what a home court advantage can be and what a home crowd can do for you and it's interesting Tank. so you know every year at least since i've been doing it on with the tutorial sports network we've been down on the floor well this year we're, we're up in the concourse level um because of covid protocols can't be that next or can't be next to the court so it's a different view so we've got a you know the whole lower level of stands between where we're sitting and the court and so i got a much better look than i normally do at just how active people were in the seats and man they were excited they were excited to be there they were uh you know Thirsty to cheer on any kind of success for the Tar Heels, and it made an absolute difference. And and I think Carolina will will desperately need that again coming up on Saturday evening against Duke.
0: I felt it watching it on television, and it made me real excited. And uh, made me really yearn for the days when we had you know because I've been there when the you know when the dome is rocking. There's one of the you know it's it's one of the great atmospheres to me mm-hmm. at times oh, yeah. in college basketball.
1: Well, and this is taking this a different. Uh, direction but i i kind of just in the back of my mind i thought about how carolina football season opener is at virginia tech next year mm-hmm. and you know that'll be the first time that there'll be some amount of fans in the stands and you know i think it's going to be a shock to everybody's system next year when you come back and you know let's who knows what the capacities will be but uh, let's guess it'll be 50 percent or better and again i'm just guessing i don't know um well, that if it... that's going to be a difference well, it, if it, and if it's it, going to have to be something to adjust to for sure
0: if it's texas or alabama it's going to be 100 apparently uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right so so
0: you never know you never know where we're going to be when it comes time uh for that and especially for for uh basketball season uh late next fall where we will be but the crowds returning is exciting to me and it to me it just adds even more uh intrigue for saturday's game against duke because I don't know that there, you know, I, I've mentioned this several times this week. There have been many times where it's been Carolina and Duke and they've been number one and number two in the country, things like that. But I don't think we've ever had a matchup where both teams may be fighting for their lives to make the NCAA tournament. And it's just a different bit of intrigue, but intrigue nonetheless.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like the two teams are kind of in similar spots that they were the first time they played. You know, the Tariels are in a little better spot, I think, than the Blue Devils are, but. Um, can't be comfortable either. They they need to continue to play well and, and need to get some more wins just to feel hundred percent safe. Although, like I said, I think Carolina is probably pretty close to that. Um, and Duke's going to be you know desperate for a win. You know they're frustrated. They've lost a couple in a row after they had been playing um, a lot better and getting better results there for a week or two. Um, and you yeah, know, tank. There is no reason to think that this game is going to be anything other than what it always is, and that's. You know, really close and high energy and. You know, some uh, standouts or somebody's going to step up big individually, whether it's one of the stars or somebody else. It it just happens every single time they get together. And you know, for Carolina, a couple things that really helped them in the win in Cameron, they shot the ball well. You know, particularly from three, they were ten of fifteen uh, from behind the arc, which seems like it was a hundred years ago now the way that the heels have shot from behind the arc recently. Um, and I thought the pace of that game uh, was where Carolina would much rather have it on a consistent basis, you know, a high-scoring, up-and-down game. Uh, Carolina thrives in that. Even this Tar Heel team, which isn't Hasn't shown to be as consistently good at that, or able to get the game to that point as often as teams in the past. Um, they, they can still handle that pretty well, and so I think uh, that would benefit the Tar Heels as well. But you know, Duke is uh, Duke's a talented team, and, and they're going to come in here uh, and ready to go, nothing to lose. And so I, I certainly expect a terrific game coming up on Saturday.
0: And so do I. And we'll uh, hear it right here on ESPN Asheville, ninety-two point nine FM, eight eighty AM, and fourteen hundred. Uh, 5 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock tip, Duke, Carolina, it's never mattered as much. Uh, At least that's what I'm sticking with anyways, Jones. Jones Angel, the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, as always, great to have you on the program, great to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week when we're getting ready for the tournament.
1: Sounds good, Tank. Talk to you soon.
0: You're in the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green here on ESPN Asheville, 92.9 FM, 880 AM and 1400.
1: You're in the Sports Tank. That's horrible. No, you know what that is? That's horror awful. That's horrible and awful mixed together. Horror awful.
0: It's ESPN Asheville. And did you see Shaq on AEW last night? I did. I saw the highlight of it. I didn't watch the actual match, so I can't give a full critique of his skills. Although, he has put them on display before. I think he's going for every circuit. He wants to hit every
2: promotion of wrestling before he can't move anymore i I, I, was, I didn't know anything about it until this morning but he he did some stuff threw a threw a power bomb out there not gonna lie the guy he did it too. probably had a little bit little reservation about that yeah
0: i mean shaquille o'neal's a big wrestling fan and has followed mm-hmm. it his entire life and you know he's had some training he's had some martial arts training he's oh, had yeah, some he, wrestling he training and then he went through a table he did that <laughs> He did. He took a pretty good bump through two tables. I thought that was nice. A little bit more than I expected out of Shaq, to be honest with you. Me too, because he's... How
2: old is Shaq at this point?
0: Oh, goodness. 45?
2: 48. 48. Actually, we'll be turning 49 uh Saturday. Yeesh. I didn't think he was that old. He's forty. He will be 49 on Saturday. Well,
0: uh, happy early birthday to the Shaq Foo. How about that? They're talking about some rule changes in the NFL. Uh, the owners meetings are coming up. And one of the things is going to be on the table is apparently a, 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 another review. We're going to be able to review, possibly, uh, roughing the passer penalties. Just like we did with the pass interference, it's going to be a reviewable foul. And my concern is, are we going to be in the same position with the roughing the passer calls as we wound up with the pass interference calls where the refs didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to overturn anything they had done on the field. And then coaches were just like, well, screw it. We're not going to challenge them anymore.
2: I would hope not because some of these roughing the passer calls are ridiculous. I'd I agree. remember one on Baker Mayfield that was insane.
0: But I think some of the rules on that are
2: ridiculous as well. Like tapping the guy on the helmet. Come on. Uh, that's so stupid. <laughs> I have long been a proponent of uh, different degrees of roughing the passer. Mm-hmm. The 5-yard, the 15. Now, if you you know do the same thing to a quarterback that that wrestler did to Shaq last night, <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. Right, if you tap them on the head, mm-hmm. and it—I mean—it extends drives. It's absolutely preposterous, and I know why you're doing it. You're doing it to protect the quarterbacks. You're doing it because you've been sued on these concussion issues. I know why you're doing it, mm-hmm. but it's not good. But at some point, hits to the head. There has to be some
0: kind of a delineation there between. Like I'm thinking back year year before last. I can remember I think it was the Bucks were playing the Patriots, and JPP just his hand came down on top of Tom Brady's head and they called a passer or a roughing the passer on him. Like, I, I yell about roughing the passer a lot. You have to be kidding me with this. There's got to be some kind of, you know, recklessness involved in a roughing the passer penalty, in my opinion. We gotta stop being so ticky tack on all this stuff. But uh, I think a review will help. Now I say that, and I don't think they get many of the calls right anyway. Reviewing them in the NFL, to me, there's way more times where I'm sitting on it there on a Sunday watching a review and going, "Yep, that's going to be incomplete pass." And then they come back, "No, nope, no, nope, it was it was actually a caught." Like To me, they get reviews wrong anyway, so adding rougher to, roughing the passer to it, it's probably
2: not going to matter. The, there's a rule that I'm, I'm really hoping passes, and I want to talk about it after, uh, after we get weird. Okay. Let's get weird.
0: On the weird scale,
1: there's Vegas, <laughs> there's Florida, and there's Asheville. Let's get weird, Asheville.
0: All right, I'm going to put this uh, in in this weird category because, to me, it seems ultimately weird. That apparently there is going to be a professional high school basketball team now. Apparently a lot of big donors are getting behind this and a lot of movers and shakers in the NBA world are getting behind this overtime elite pro basketball league that is going to take the top 16 and 18-year-old players in the country, have them get paid while they're still taking classes. It's going to be like an accredited high school and everything, but the players are going to be paid a guaranteed salary of $100,000 a year to play basketball at the high school level. I think that opens up the door for a lot of weirdness to happen because you get 16- and 18-year-old kids with $100,000 in their pocket. We know what that can lead to. I don't agree with that. You don't? No. A kid gets a whole bunch of money, and you don't think that that's going to lead to some foolishness.
2: So you're saying there's a difference between an 18-year-old kid and a 19-year-old kid? Because right now we're allowing 19-year-olds to do it in the NBA. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a a little bit of a difference. I'm not saying it's a market difference. Yeah, of all the things that concern uh, me of this, (laughs) that one didn't even cross my mind. (laughs) The idea of this whole thing is, though, to be a feeder to the NBA
0: to the G League, to the elite team, or what, whatever the case may be. They're going to pay these guys $100,000 a year. They will, of course, have to forfeit any of their high school eligibility and their college eligibility as well. What was your big takeaway from this? Step two. To the destruction of college basketball? I <laughs>
2: agreed. told you. Mm-hmm. I said this during the coronavirus pandemic when you started canceling the tournament and you couldn't figure out how to do this. There were a lot of heavy hitters that had kids or or had an involvement with kids. And you know what you did? And you may not like that I say this and, and your takes on the virus or your takes on the virus. I'm, I, we've been doing this for a year. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. I told you there are people out there going, we just lost all faith in the NCAA. All of it. And now college basketball gets less of a, there's less of a microscope on college basketball. That's more deferred to Mark Emmert and, and the the powers that be in the NCAA. Well, looky, well, looky here. It took about nine months and you got a bunch of power brokers that went "Mm -mm."
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Nope. You've already had the G League, and literally from the minute you decided to do this, the, when you couldn't figure out how to make this work, for the, the during the coronavirus outbreak, and you were one of the only major sporting events that didn't happen. I told you that day, you watch. Right. This is going to happen. Not two months later, they came out with the G League Ignite. Well, now you got six of the best prospects in the upcoming draft that are playing in the G League, not in college basketball. Mm-hmm. And now 9 months later they're going a step further.
0: Right, now you're going to have 30 guys because that's what the that's what the roster require or the roster limit's going to be for this school. 30 of the top 16 to 18 year old basketball players are not only not going to be going to I don't know what you call it uh Traditional school, traditional schools. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Traditional schools. They're going to become sixteen and eighteen year old professionals who are then going to completely skip college basketball, go straight to the pros. And these are guys that you know. It, it's not like they're going to be taking uh, mid level prospects. This no, is these going are to be, be the heavy all hitters. the
2: top ones. This is. I mean, you got guys like Jay Williams involved in this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are these are guys that have a big say. Mm-hmm. And I heard this as soon as the NCAA tournament got canceled. I heard it. We all have now lost faith in your ability to do this. And now a year later, we're, we're a year after you started the coronavirus, thing, and, and I'm not saying that this was that this is the whole problem, the whole reason this happened. This was the icing on the cake. There were a lot of people, a lot of power brokers that deal with college athletics that it lost complete faith in the NCAA system. And I told you when the Rock bought the XFL, and I told you when the G League Ignite thing started, mm-hmm. you watch, I see where this is headed. I know exactly where this is going, and I'm getting told this from, pe- from people that are infinitely smarter than I am. Nine months later, now we have a professional high school basketball team, which is what this equates to. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know what the scariest part of this whole article is to me? What's that? In terms of this actually happening. Who did they say they would play? They're going to play,
0: uh, what was it, private, not private schools, prep schools. They're going to play some prep schools and also international teams. Mm-hmm.
2: They've, already, they've already thought of the one objection to this, which is, who are you going to play? So now you will have a complete path from being 16 years old to never even considering playing college basketball. Mm-hmm. Amoni Bates, the number one recruit in next year's class, already headed to the G League. Hasn't been announced yet. You mark my words. That's where he's going. Mm -hmm. Said he's committed to Michigan State. No, he's not. He will be playing for the G League Ignite next year. And you opened up all of these channels. This is what you did. This is is another effect of you not being able to figure it out. It's just like the video game thing. I always said it's absolutely ludicrous that you spent eight years with an inability to come together and go, well, this is how we can make a video game that will make a bajillion dollars because it's what everybody wants. Right. You couldn't do it. And now here we are. You opened the door by missing the tournament last year because you couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. And now you now not only, and you got to think about this too, now not only do you have an idea of doing this, you have an idea of doing this when you have colleges that have never been more vulnerable than they are right now. Because they've lost so much money in the last year. What do you, I mean, how are you going to go? How are you going to come back at this? Let's say the name, image, and likeness thing passes and they say, no, 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 you can play in, in college and you think they can contend with $100,000 a year? No. Because I don't. No. I don't what? think your average college, and, and I'm not even talking, I shouldn't even say average. I don't even think you're. Common back end of the top twenty five team could contend with that, even mm-hmm. if you agree if you just said, Wow, wow West, you can do whatever you want to, which they're not going to do, but even if they did that, you can't contend with this, and so now you have a path for basketball players, and you know what's next? you know who's going to come calling for this next football players yep Football. I- college football is such a big enterprise currently because you do stay for three years, and you look at guys in 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 the n f l and you attribute them to colleges, Mm -hmm. and you've got Nick Sabans and guys like that that really do teach you how to play the game. High-end recruits, you wind up at, let's say, uh, somebody winds up at Carolina or Duke or whatever the case may be, you get tutelage from this legendary coach for four months. Mm -hmm. You think that really markedly improved your game? You think Zion Williamson's a a ten-time better NBA player because of the five months he spent at Duke? No, because I don't. And now you have a path where they can Mm – use their talents and profit off of it. And they never have to go through this system. And the only thing I can say, you can go back and listen to the tape. I'll tell you what days it was. I told you so.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't hate this idea. I like
0: this I, opportunity
2: for the I kids. Would have, I would have loathed it a year ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: After watching the just bumbling, role that the NCAA's had in everything (laughs) they've done for the last year. Right. You know what? Now I don't hate it. Yeah. I look at it now and say, who do I trust more to do what's best for these kids, Jay Williams or Mark Emmert? And to me, it's Mm -hmm. not close. Mm -hmm. Not even debatable. Well, you have professional
0: basketball already for young teenagers over in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I get that's a different dichotomy than what this is going to be. I mean, those guys get thrown on teams and they get overlooked because those guys are all about, you know, it's not everybody on the team is 14 years old. Or 16 years old. Correct. Or you got kids playing as grown men. Right. In this scenario, everybody's going to be getting the same attention of, you know, I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, and we're making the next step to the G League. I think it's a more streamlined process to get them ready for the NBA game. I like the idea. And I do like the prospect of these families being able to get this money, but I do think the there is a window open for some shenanigans that might get some of these guys in trouble. If they have all
2: that money. I'm not at, at I'm, their disposal. I'm not worried about any of that. To me See, what you just said is mm-hmm. like the same thing people used to tell me years ago of oh, if we put a if we put a pro sports team in Las Vegas, oh, yeah. every game will be thrown forever. <laughs> right. That's what I just heard you say. Yeah. Uh, now of all things to worry about, that's four hundred and seventeenth. However, that Fair will enough. be a sink or swim model. Yes. I'm just telling you, you know, I'll do it. The closer we get, if that actually comes to fruition, I'll dig more into what I'm talking about.
0: Well, they got some great backers. Uh, there's, there's, there's a oh, yeah. lot of money behind this. I heard Jay Williams say earlier this morning uh, on the morning show that he's
2: on the board of this. Elite. He's the only one I can yeah. remember. That's the reason I keep using his name.
0: Um, Carmelo Anthony. And Kevin Durant are also investors in this in this project. And I think he said Carmelo Anthony was also on the board of the Overtime Elite project. This was also something that apparently David Stern got in on before his
2: death. Does not surprise me. David Stern was a very forward-thinking person, as is, as is Adam Silver. His mm-hmm. dar. Uh, a story from Connecticut has made me never want to get rid of anything ever again. A small bowl Bolt bought for $35 at a Connecticut yard sale was identified as a 600-year-old Chinese antique and is expected to sell for half a million dollars at auction. Sotheby's Auction House in New York said the seller, a man who is not being identified, purchased a floral bowl for $35 at a yard sale in New Haven, Connecticut in <laughs> 2020 and sent photos of the object to auction specialists to see if it was a genuine antique. Here's my question, and I'm looking at this bowl, and it's a it's a little blue floral bowl. It looks like every bowl that we had in my house when I was eight years old that I used to eat salad and soup out of. Okay, in what universe do you look at this and go, that could be worth a whole bunch of money? Like I I don't understand. I've never understood yard mm sale things anyway. Well, because the guy's thinking like
0: if it you know it's pretty much if it looks old, it's probably worth something. And so if it's $35, I mean, I could turn around and sell this thing for 100 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that, to an antique shop. You're never going to imagine, though, that you're going to end up with some one-of-a-kind Chinese import that's worth a half a million dollars. Oh,
2: funny you said old. The porcelain bowl was identified as a lotus bowl from the court of the Yongle Emperor who ruled from 1403 until 1424. No Sotheby said only six other Lotus bowls from the same period are still known to exist. The bowl is scheduled to be auctioned off on March 17th. The auction house said the bowl is expected to fetch a high bid of between 300 and 500,000 up to 14,300 times the amount of money it was sold for at the yard sale. (laughs) No, there there is no, uh, it doesn't tell me the status of the person that sold it because if I was that person, I would be hiding in a hole mm-hmm. in the woods, mm-hmm. curled up in a corner, sucking your thumb somewhere. Going, I had a half a million dollar bowl. In this, this is house. like that Bitcoin guy that had four hundred bajillion dollars and could not remember his password. <laughs> yes. Like, how do you? How do you move <laughs> on from that? Like, I, like if you're the person that sold this bowl, how do you read this story and just get up and go to work tomorrow? Yeah. I'd call in. I would literally call in sick. For the next three months mm-hmm. like sorry i'm, I'm just I'm, I'm gonna need some time I'm gonna need some time i would love to know the origin story of this bowl see that's
0: the thing that would get me with this story is i want to know how it ended up on that table like at what point did somebody in that family acquire this bowl and then either one didn't know what it was or didn't tell anybody where it came from and over the years the story got lost of where it came from and they had no idea and now you have, you know, my I I'm imagining like, you know, sadly grandma passes away, and the younger generation has to get rid of all her stuff somehow. So they figure we'll raise some money, put the put a yard sale out. Yeah, thirty five bucks for that bowl. That seems like it's fine. And then it turns out it was a you know like what did what did you say only one of six to survive from the fourteen hundreds in China. Yep, holy cow. Uh, we got rumors all over the NBA as we come to the end of the first half of the season. All-Star break coming up this weekend. Sham Sharania put out just a laundry list of possible scenarios as we reach the NBA trade deadline. So I want to spend the next few minutes talking about that, Jeremy. Um, Nikola Vucevic apparently is a hot commodity. The, both the Hornets and the Knicks... or or excuse me, the Hornets and the Celtics have apparently expressed interest and or reached out to Orlando about getting Nikola
2: Vucevic. Well, the Celtics could make it happen. The Hornets, I literally tried to run the trade machine to see what they... Yeah. P.J. Washington and Cody Zeller in a one are not getting you Nikola Vucevic. Just based on value or the money doesn't work? Value. There's nothing that you're sending out there that isn't anywhere near the value of Nick Vucevich. Mm-hmm. Now, the Celtics, on the other hand, the Celtics are a little different. The Celtics have 400,000 pieces. And they can take back the salary into a traded player exception. Give, I mean, if he's going anywhere, he's going to the Celtics. Okay. And I firmly believe that. The Celtics are going to use that exception because that team is... It's too talented to be this bad, mm-hmm. and they need a big guy. Andre Drummond doesn't fix it. Vucevic, he doesn't 100% fix it. But he's such a matchup problem because he can shoot, and he's a good rebounder, that I, I could 100% see that happening. They I'm all, sure Charlotte wants him. They just don't have anything mm-hmm. that Orlando would want. Right. Or anything that they'd be willing to give up to get him. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're... You're right there. Right. Yeah, if they start, I mean, if the, they came off Lamello, then all exactly. of a sudden. But that's not going to happen. No, not not in a million years. Um,
0: Boston's also apparently looking at uh, Jeremy Grant, your guy who's having a season among seasons up for the Detroit Pistons.
2: Don't buy it. This is the one smart move Detroit made. He's been incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Boston is interested. Now, where you would play him, that gets interesting. Because you already have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. You need a big guy. That's one of those that strikes me as somebody made a call and went back and told a reporter. I'm sure teams have called. Detroit's going to laugh at you. Because a deal that I thought was an absolute joke when he signed it mm-hmm. is now a it's it's pretty decent value. On I a team that doesn't have many of those. I think he's he might be the biggest surprise in the NBA this year. He'll be most improved player without a beyond a shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward,
0: maybe he's maybe his season has been more of a
2: surprise. Oh, I thought you were, I Grant. thought you were talking about for most improved. It's no, like, no, 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 uh, no, no. I don't. Gordon Hayward's been an all star. Jeremy Grant went from the eighth man on the Nuggets to all of a sudden he's the best player (laughs) for the Pistons. But uh, my point in that is that Gordon
0: Hayward is a guy that at least I didn't expect, and I know a lot of people didn't expect that he was going to be an all-star
2: again. Okay. I mean, he would have been a fringe guy. He was the best player on the Hornets, and you knew that. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Grant was a guy that I saw the contract come down, and I went, do they actually know the person they just signed? Because he came <laughs> off of my team, and whilst I liked him, and I did, uh, th- there's an extra g- there's an extra place before the comma on this deal.
0: <laughs> like, do they think they're getting Grant Hill? I,
2: Is that the question? But they were right. Struck out on everything else. They did, but mm-hmm. they were right on that.
0: PJ Tucker seems to be a uh, a common name for a couple of teams, especially contenders, the Nets and the Lakers. There have been a few other teams that have been mentioned that are interested in looking at P.J. Tucker, at least kicking the tires on what what the Rockets want for him. But he's a guy who hasn't been playing great. Obviously, he's on a horrible team, having lost the last 13
2: games. But his individual play hasn't been all that good to start the year. The problem with him is that he makes just enough that he's a headache to move. He's he makes about eight million dollars a year. You know the Laker. I've heard the Lakers with him. I've heard the Clippers. There's a few others. Mm-hmm. All these teams are hammered over the tax line. So like the Lakers would have to give up just enough to keep them into the tax to get him. He's a guy that I could see being bought out, uh, and you never quite know what that would be for. How many teams are just one guy,
0: just one move away from actually being contenders in the NBA this season? We'll talk about that up next right here on ESPN Asheville. There are contenders and there are pretenders in the NBA right now. We're reaching the all-star break, first half of the season, wrapping up tonight And so it begs the question of who is a move away from being a contender or from being, I guess, at the top of the contenders. What teams do you have to make a move
2: to be able to vie for a championship? Boston Celtics. That's the only one? That's the only one I can tell you definitively. The Miami Heat would come to mind, but my fear is that with the Heat to add anybody that would make you a contender – you're going to have to give up a player that makes you not a contender. The Celtics have so many assets right? that I, I don't think it would kill them. Plus, they have a $28 million trade exception that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of teams that need to make a, a deal to be even really competitive to me. You know, that falls into the Pacers, the Raptors. Uh, the, the Hawks are going to make a deal with John Collins. I think the Knicks need another piece to be competitive in the playoffs. Uh, then, you know, out West, you, to me, you got the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Suns, and the Jazz. Those are the real long term contenders, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think the Clippers need to do something, but I don't know what they, you have no assets. Mm-hmm. You can't trade a draft pick till, I mean, the, the, whoever the pick was is in the fourth grade right
0: now. It was like 2028 20, was the next time yeah. they're going to
2: have a pick. Yeah, I mean, if you if you traded a pick right now, it wouldn't come to fruition. Uh, the kid's ten right now, right? So, I just don't know that you can do anything. The Blazers, if they could find somebody to defend around the rim, I think that would make them better. But then that takes away the offense of Enes Kanter, mm-hmm. and I don't know that that's I don't know that that ends up being a net positive. We don't talk about Phoenix much. Phoenix needs to uh, do absolutely nothing. They're the team that you don't talk about. The problem with them is that I'm afraid Chris Paul is going to be aged out of the league by the time DeAndre Ayton, and to a much lesser extent Devin Booker, mm-hmm. are battle-tested enough to compete. Gotcha. DeAndre Ayton and and Booker have literally never played the playoff game.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to change this year. hundred A hundred
2: percent. And they're going to be the better team in that playoff series, most likely, right. in the, in that opening round series. Right. I just don't know what you would add. I mean, you've already got shooters. You've already got – they're a very balanced team. And to be honest with you, they're in a place that I wouldn't want to upset the apple cart too much because you have a good thing going.
0: Now we'll see how it goes. second half of the season is uh, coming up next week. we got the last night of the first half of the season is tonight. Obviously, All-Star break begins uh, tomorrow. All-Star game is on Sunday, and we'll have all of the news uh, heading up to it with you right here tomorrow on the Friday edition of the Sports Tank with Jeremy Green. Heard everywhere on the iHeartRadio app tomorrow at 3. We'll see you then. Be sure to check us out on YouTube tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. for the Sportsocracy. Follow, like, and share us on all the social medias.